This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. For all the TV shows we know and love that are based in the medical profession, have you ever given any thought to people in the medical profession working on those TV shows we know and love? And I'm not talking about being a consultant in the writer's room to make sure they get the medical jargon right. I'm talking about a doctor who's also a screenwriter. It's certainly not a combination you hear every day, but it's exactly the lane Dr. Roshan Sethi has carved out for himself. As a first-year medical student back in 2009, Dr. Sethi broke into the industry and has since written for shows including ABC's Black Box, Fox's The Resident, and he even has a film in the works with some pretty big names attached to it. In our conversation, Dr. Sethi explains how he got his big break, how he manages his dizzying schedule, and how his dual careers in medicine and screenwriting actually inform each other. Dr. Sethi, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So, <laughs> a doc. So, I have to say, like, I have my brother and my sister are both doctors, and I don't think they, I don't think they have a creative bone in their body in a sense. So, when I came across your story, I was like, oh my God, this is this, I have to talk to this guy. So, you are a doctor who's also a screenwriter. And it's not a combination we hear about every day. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your your background going, like, just did these interests always coexist for you growing up? Like, what what's, give me a sense of your background. Because like I said, this is, you're a rare breed. You don't, <laughs> you don't get many doctor screenwriters. Well, I grew up in Canada, actually, in Calgary, Alberta, which is a relatively small city. And um, I had an immigrant, have an immigrant mother parent who, didn't want us to watch TV, actually. So I never grew up watching TV or really any movies. Most of what we watched, if anything, was Bollywood. Um, and I read a lot because there was nothing to watch and wanted to be a writer from a young age. But I was also introduced to medicine very early because my mother ran a primary care clinic and took care of the majority of immigrants in Calgary, really. She had a huge practice. And I uh, would occasionally, along with my twin brother, staff the front desk of the clinic. So I spent a lot of time there. Um, I never obviously saw patients, but I was always interacting with them at the front and always thought I was going to be a doctor for almost as long as I thought I was going to be a writer. And I assumed that what I would do with writing was something that would be compatible with medicine, which is writing fiction or writing short stories, something that I could do part-time or on the side. And when I went to college, I started looking into fiction classes and writing classes and was very quickly discouraged. My first writing teacher told me that I couldn't be a writer because I had too much Bengali in my ear, even though I'm not Bengali, <laughs> and uh, assumed that anything that was wrong with my writing was related to me being uh, the child of an Indian immigrant parent. So I put it aside, honestly, because I was so discouraged by that for two or three years. And writers are such frail beings. Anyone who's creative is frail, really. And uh, yeah. it took me a long time to... <laughs> It took me a long time to recover my confidence. And then by the time I did, on a lark, I applied to a screenwriting class that was being held by Suzanne O'Malley. And in the class, they gave you Robert McKee's story, which is a, a guide to screenwriting that a lot of people use, and then a copy of Final Draft, which is the software we use. And as part of the class, I wrote a spec episode of House and loved it. And I applied to another screenwriting class 
for both of those, actually, I wasn't immediately admitted to the class. I was on the wait list and had to argue my way in, actually, which was an, another initial discouragement. But at the end of the experience, I decided that I wanted to consult for a TV show because I had no connections to Hollywood and it did not seem even remotely feasible to be a screenwriter. So I decided to settle for just being a medical consultant. So I cold called and emailed and Facebook messaged probably 40 people. Anyone who was connected to a medical show in Hollywood, I contacted. And I would usually try and guess their email addresses by doing some combination of the first and last name. So like Roshan.Sethi, R.Sethi, R.Sethi1. It was just psychotic. I would send like it to 15 different addresses and I would put them in the BCC line. And then I would look at what bounced back. Because, you know, if 14 bounced back, that mean, meant one had gone through. Because in those days, people, I mean, it was harder to get email addresses. I know that it was only 10 years ago, but it's, it feels like it was harder. So I eventually heard about this show called Harvard Medical School. And I had just matriculated at Harvard Medical School. So I thought I was a natural fit for it. And I tried to reach the show's creator, um, Amy Holden Jones, by email. And my kind of psychotic method did not work. And so instead, I Facebook friended her. She didn't reply. And then I messaged her and said, I'm a student and I'd really like to be involved with the show. I have a lot, lot of ideas, a lot of stories. And she said, send me them. <laughs> So I sent her pages and pages of stories, most of which were honestly made up, but which I pretended had really happened to me because I was so uncomfortable with proposing ideas that it, it was easier to lie. You know, it was all a gigantic fiction, but she liked it well enough that she continued to encourage my submissions and eventually allowed me to become a formal consultant on the show. And even, you know, very kindly flew me out to set. I had never been on a set before. Wow. She flew me to the pilot they were shooting of Harvard Medical School, which had been renamed HMS, was in the process of being renamed something else. And um, I didn't do much on set. I just walked around, but it was a really cool experience. And Amy allowed me to become a medical consultant on each of the pilots she wrote over the next three years, which were all medical. And I had no medical knowledge, really. As a first-year medical student, you know almost nothing. But I had up-to-date a website that doctors use, and I knew doctors, and I just figured it out. And when I was a fourth year in medical school, she had a show order to series called Black Box. Mm -hmm. She asked if I wanted to be on the show as a medical consultant. So I came down to set and worked on set and got to know people. And that was a really interesting experience. By the end of it, I had paired with another writer on that show, Haley Shore, and we wrote a spec together, which is just, you know, a random pilot. And that got us an agent, which then got us staffed on a show called Code Black. And at that point, I was an intern. Intern is the first year of residency, which is the period following medical school. So medical school is four years. You're a doctor at the end of medical school, and you have five years of residency. I had finished one. So with three weeks to go before the start of my formal residency, I was staffed on a show and had to leave the show. I had to leave residency to go work on the show. My residency kindly allowed me to defer for one year. Dr. Haas Kogan, who is now the chair of Radiation Oncology at Brigham, was very open to me participating in the arts. And so I went for a year. And I staffed on the show and um, was abruptly let go after 13 weeks because the studio couldn't afford to keep paying for staff writers. Right. So I moved out to L.A. for an entire year, but 13 weeks into it, had nothing left to do. So I wrote, along with Haley, a feature called Exposure, which was about Rosalind Franklin, who discovered DNA. And that feature, though, everyone discouraged us from writing it because it's the least commercial thing ever. So <laughs> ended up selling in a bidding war, which is still a shock to me. At the end of the year, along with Amy, Holden Johns, and Haley, uh, we wrote a pilot called The Resident for Showtime, which was initially quite dark. Showtime passed on it just as I went back to residency. Then in the middle of residency, 
Fox decided to pick up the script from Showtime and order it to pilot. They usually shoot like eight pilots and then they air or order to series like three or four of them. It changes every year, but it's a winnowing process. So they ordered it to pilot. I went for one week of set, barely did anything, flew back to residency. They ordered it to series and I was still a resident. And I chose to stay in residency because I didn't want, I wanted to complete my training. There's so much time and effort put into medicine. It felt ridiculous to just wander away without completing the thought. So I, I finished residency and for the first year of the resident, I was calling into the writer's room almost every day and trying to work from afar. It proved untenable. So I left the show and focused mainly along with Haley on features, which is uh, more or less what I'm doing now. No, because what I find so interesting about, about your story is just, that tenacity because it's like i mean of course in 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 really any field you can have doors slammed in your face you know all the time but it seems like there were so many signposts along the way saying like turn back this is not for you and you just kept yeah. barreling forward and now you know look at you now so what what's what's really at the source of that of that spark of that tenacity like what what made you want this so hard to go so full force and so blindly into it to the point where you're you know, literally kind of spamming people in their inbox trying to figure out their email. I think it's just an immigrant thing. It's an ethos we inherited from our parents. And the people who left India in the 60s and 70s and left everywhere, they were the craziest people in their countries. They were the most tenacious. They were the least afraid of risk. They were the most willing to do this insane thing, which was fly across the world to a place where they didn't speak the language, establish a life, establish a career, raise their children in a culture that was utterly alien to them. Some of that I think is in the blood and it's in the atmosphere. So, and then the other part of it is I truly do think that most people who enter Hollywood from anywhere that's not within Hollywood are um, a little delusional. I think you have to be delusional. My boyfriend, Karan Sony, is an actor and he grew up in India, in New Delhi. And his story of how he got established in this industry he also had no context. He was a literal immigrant himself, not just the child of immigrants. Right. Also required the same kind of delusion. So I see that story in, in multiple corners. Yeah. No, and I, I can attest to that. <laughs> I mean, listen, my parents are Nigerian, and I, I do think that that gives you a little bit more fuel in your booster, so to speak. Like, it's something about it. But, you know, I think, you know, you from your roles as like a consultant and, you know, actually create like writing your own show. I mean, what, I guess like, from your perspective, like what were TV shows getting wrong about the medical profession and, and, and how do you think you helped sort of write some of those wrongs? Well, I think one of the things the resident focuses on is just the fact that doctors are human and they're as likely to succeed as they are to fail. And mm-hmm. the task of being a doctor is so full of the potential for error, which is one of the things the show focuses on. And it's not error that's born out of ill will or even neglect. It's error that is almost inevitable. One of the books that we all read was by Marty McCary about the possibility of error in medicine. And it has a great scene in it where at a conference, he asks all the doctors in the conference to raise their hands if they know of a physician who should not be practicing medicine. And everyone in that room raises their hands, which is a very common experience, I think. Um, among trainees and full-fledged attendings, knowing someone who should be practicing. And yet we don't say anything and we don't do anything because there is a sort of code of silence that protects the profession. And part of it was just, to me, the thing that I had always hated the most about medical shows was how much they didn't look like the hospital. 
when I worked on Black Box, I remembered one of the directors wanted to cast a cab driver in the uh, show. And he said that he wanted specifically a Sikh, an Indian with a long turban, mm-hmm. and a long, sorry, with a turban and a long beard. Um, and I asked him why. And he said, because it's realistic. Most cab drivers in New York are Indian. And uh, this was on a show where every doctor was white, which was the furthest thing from realistic in my experience. Oh, absolutely. Almost every resident is Indian, Nigerian, or Chinese. Exactly. Like they're all of such, I mean, talk about immigrants. Right. One of the most interesting things in Boston area hospitals is seeing patients from rural Maine or New Hampshire encounter their physicians, Dr. Lee, Dr. Patel, Dr. You know, they, they have probably never met anyone like this in their life. So you're seeing that clash all the time. And initially when we were talking about the resident, it was so important to me that there be an Indian, a Nigerian, and an Asian. That had been my experience in the hospital. And every show, with the exception of what Shonda Rhimes has done, had, had shown only white doctors. And that matters because what it means is that people on TV are seeing the heroes, the people with the paddles who are charging people back to life. They're seeing white people. They're not seeing Indians. They're not seeing other races. And as a result, we don't think of them as heroes. This casting conversation comes up in Hollywood all the time and is obviously a much broader subject. But why is every valet and housekeeper Hispanic? Because Mm -hmm. uh, according to the people who cast these roles, it's important to be ethnically realistic. But that imperative for ethnic realism falls apart when it comes to the roles that really matter, when it comes to, you know, the hero or the lead of the show. Absolutely. And, you know, I would imagine that, you know, being in the medical profession is enormously helpful in writing about the medical profession, obviously, but has writing about it given you a new perspective on being a doctor? Yes. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with writing is that you have to, it's almost like acting, except you have to act every role because you have to be inside the mind of every single person you're writing. Writing is an enormous act of empathy. So is medicine when done properly. But uh, <laughs> good the answer thing, right there when done properly. <laughs> which obviously always does. You know, the big thing in writing dialogue is that what people say is so much less interesting than what they don't say. And that underneath the text of the line is the subtext of whatever they're thinking or feeling that causes their reaction. So as a screenwriter, you're always trained to you know, have as much subtext as possible because it's very boring for people to hear characters explain their thoughts or feelings. Nobody ever really wants to sit and listen to that. But if they see them acting a certain way because of something that they suspect is underneath the surface, that suddenly becomes riveting. And now in medicine, anytime a patient asks a question or says anything, I'm constantly thinking about the subtext, about what is living underneath the surface. For example, in oncology, a common question is, how big is my tumor? Which Obviously, the number answer probably doesn't matter to them because what are they going to do with 10 centimeters or 8 centimeters or 9 centimeters? The real subtext of that question and the question beneath the question is, am I going to die? And I think it's, it's, it's really hearing that that is still so tough for me because in, in the average medical encounter, we don't have time to sit and reflect and consider the way that I do when I write. So, so much of it flies by, but I will say it's helped that writing has helped in those ways. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around around the fact that you were really doing two enormously demanding jobs really at once. I know you kind of got like some time off um, from your residency, but still, I mean, that that's there's still a lot to juggle. So, I mean, how did you wrap 
your mind around doing both. And like, so like, what are your rules for productivity? Because I think that there's a lot to learn here (laughs) from you in terms of like how to balance two very demanding tasks. Well, I, I actually view writing in a very improvisational quick way. So I write very fast, often 10 pages an hour. Some of it is good. Some of it is very bad. And I have a philosophy of no judgment about what I produce. And Mm. I think that being fearless about writing and producing and creativity just helps because you you can fix it later. You're going to rewrite it. And the real work in many ways is in rewriting. So I usually write in kind of a blazing, feverish way every morning for one or two hours. And then I go to work as a doctor. And uh, that it's always been enough time, weirdly. Occasionally, the only thing that gets stressful are phone calls and if I have a meeting or something that interferes with the hospital, but I always made it my philosophy. So first and foremost, respect that I was being medically because the stakes are so high. If I miss a notes call on a script, that there's zero stakes to that. But you know, what I did in the hospital mattered so much. I finished residency on June 18th. So now, to be honest, I'm not doing any medicine at all because <laughs> I have a part-time job that doesn't begin until November. So it's less of an issue at the current moment. But when I was a resident, that's how I managed it. Right. And kind of to that point, I mean, like, how how was that collaboration process with you? Because it seems like you've really had some, you know, great people in your corner, you know, from Amy to, you know, Haley, like you've had like really great people kind of backing you, helping you shape ideas. So like, is that, I guess, like, how does that collaboration process really feed your creativity? Because some writers are very solitary. You know, I think a lot of writers are kind of solitary creatures to some extent, except in TV. I mean, you're in a, you're in a writer's room, but still, I think it can be very isolating for some people. So for you, I guess, like, what do you get from that collaborative process? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think uh, what's so interesting to me is there's really no other form of writing that's done in teams. You know, people don't write novels together for the most part. They don't definitely don't write poems together. The more art it becomes, the more solitary it becomes. But uh, screenwriting, for some reason, requires it, I think, because screenwriting is so disciplined. It has to have an airtight structure. You can't lose the audience's attention, whereas the novel can be digressive and detour and get up to all kinds of things. Um, uh, a screenplay just cannot do that. Um, and uh, I really enjoy the process in part because I have so many blind spots as a writer, and I think most screenwriters do, where in general, I think I'm very good at structure because it's almost scientific and it's almost mathematical, what goes where and how it builds. And I will occasionally have instincts and great moments, but I think that I write many, many bad lines and need other people to help. And that was always the case, at least with Haley and Amy. But I, th- there's really nothing wrong with having a, a blind spot as a writer. The most important thing is to be aware of it, to know what you're good at and what you're bad at. So I've always found it very useful to work with other people in that regard and often wonder how a novelist can just sit down and write an entire novel without anyone else. It's, it feels so daunting to me. The other thing is that I can take more risks because I know I have someone else to pull me back. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And so for you, you know, kind of being with you knowing having your background having your experiences you know and obviously storytelling is such a powerful medium and i think that's something that i always come back to and i've talked to a lot of directors and writers and they always say that and i believe it's true that you know stories create empathy you know and i think that being being a screenwriter being a director being at the helm of creating these stories is such a privileged position and so for you like how are you how are you how are you leveraging that like where do you want to take how do you want to use that power in hollywood to tell these stories 
Yeah, I think it's so important. First of all, I don't have that much power, but whatever power I have. More, more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, uh, had some, you have a few credits to your name. I got nothing. So. <laughs> I do think that uh, one of the things I'm always trying to do is, first of all, mentorship, even though I'm not very far along in the industry. One of the things that stymies me about it, drives me crazy, is that there is no formal track for entering this industry. Yeah. If you want to be a doctor, you apply to medical school. Then you go to medical school. Then you apply to residency. Then you go to residency. There is just a track and a system and a process. In Hollywood, it's so nebulous. Scripts are passed around. Someone reads them. Someone doesn't. And in general, because the process is so vague and so disorganized, it favors people who come from families that are already within Hollywood. So there is a staggering amount of nepotism, which is not to say that medicine doesn't have nepotism because I am the son of a doctor who became a doctor. So obviously it, it applies in multiple realms. I honestly don't think it is worse, any more worse than, than it is in Hollywood. And so as a result, I, weirdly enough, keep my Gmail on my IMDb so that random people can reach out to me. Um, That's how I or, found you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually the writer's assistant on the resident cold emailed me the way that I had cold emailed somebody else and asked to be a writer's assistant, then became a writer's assistant on the show then moved to another show, All-American, on the CW, where he was recently promoted to staff writer. Great and show. that was a minority who just cold called me. And mm-hmm. it, unless that system exists, because it's always this networking in this, this thing, there's really no way in. It's an airtight industry. I had the benefit of being a physician. That was, if I hadn't been a physician, I would not have been a screenwriter. I am uh, like almost confident that no one would ever have read anything I wrote because, wow. of, because of how... Um, limited is the other thing i wonder is publishing novels screenplays i mean short stories they there is a slush pile like zoe trope for example has a slush pile people say but uh, and there are certain you know like i don't think anyone is getting published in the new yorker without an agent but by and large there is a slush pile in certain places i don't know where the slush pile is in hollywood i don't you know the agencies claim to have them i don't know if they ever read them or if they sign people based on them there are the competitions which occasionally lead to representation but the whole system is just so screwy, in my opinion. And there needs to be formal avenues for mentorship, like people much bigger than me are doing, like Ava DuVernay. And, you know, mm-hmm. there, there are definitely many bigger people thinking about this. But I think the responsibility becomes personal to mentor. And then the second is representation, um, which I obviously cared a lot about with The Resident, which is a bit of a two-hander with a major Indian character. Um, and that was, at the time, revolutionary and a hard thing to do on broadcast TV in a medical drama. Um, now feels much more uh, easier to accomplish. But um, but in general, yeah, anytime I, I work on anything, I try to think of projects and ideas that um, have a, a different point of view from the one that has been in Hollywood for the longest period of time. That said, the first few movies I wrote were entirely white people because I wanted a career. Um, and that was a strange experience. Now I have enough, you know, I've done enough that I can, can get away with proposing minority ideas, but I still played that game when I was starting. I love the point that you made about, you know, mentorship, because I think that that's, it's, it's really interesting because there, there, there is really, I think there's some people who are trying to formalize that a little bit and there's like accelerator programs. Like I, you know, I did a story with um, Brian Grazer and Ron Howard's Imagine mm-hmm. Impact have an Accelerator, really great. Every Renee is doing amazing things, but these are like, you know, big names with a finite amount of slots. Mm-hmm. And even with, you know, imagine like they have this thing where even if you don't get into the program, your script goes into basically an app that agents and people can s- sort through. So essentially saying like, you know, even if you don't get into this program, you 
may get your script sold to some degree. And then, you know, Franklin Leonard's doing the blacklist. So here and there, there are people doing these things, like, you know, trying to make use of this slush pile. But I do find it interesting that, you know, and I love that you mentioned how you're mentoring people even at your level, because I think that that's really what's required is that like at every level, like starting out mid-career, you know, to the point where you are Brian Grazer and Ava DuVernay, like there needs to be some sort of mentorship. So for you, outside of, you know, making yourself accessible, have you given any thought to, I don't know if it's like a, a blog or what it is to kind of give sort of a guideline for people that may not have your exact avenue to where you're at? Because again, I don't think there's many doctors trying to be screenwriters, or maybe there are, I don't know. But just on the basis of a rookie screenwriter trying to make it, have you given any thought to to kind of formalizing that process or making a little, like laying it out for the next person to come through? Yeah, I, I have and not come up with anything concrete or specific, but I really want to do that. My goal is, you know, I'm at such a medium stage because although I've had a show on the air, I've never had a feature produced, which I'm hoping will change soon. But until I have that, I don't think I'll have as much power as I want to be able to do things. But that is really my first priority, honestly, is to set up some kind of an incubator. The one thing I think really needs to exist is um, what the Duplass brothers are doing, actually, which is they make micro-budget movies with first-time filmmakers. And even Room 104, which is an established HBO show, has so many first-time directors, many of them people of color and women. And they have turned their creative industry into basically one gigantic mentorship encampment, which is so rare in Hollywood. But I'd love to do something like that um, with giving these small micro loans for people to make films and to find new directors and to find new voices. I think that would uh, have a big impact. And then just finding out why the agencies and management companies can't have bigger slush piles. Obviously things are a little fraught right now between the agencies and the WGA as it is, but I am really curious about how that process works. But again, I haven't acquired quite enough clout to do the things I want to do, but that's why I try to do mentorship on a personal level. And that said, despite the many emails I've answered and talked to, I think I've only concrete help, concretely helped two people That's... just by years of trying. And that is so frustrating to me because it is so hard. Even when someone says, can you pass the script on to a manager or an agent? I always do it, regardless of what I think of the script. Because I'm like, this whole process is fucked anyways. Like, I've got to do something. Right. And getting people to read is so hard. So the whole thing frustrates me. Now that I'm a little bit outside of medicine, I think I can, I can do more because I have more time. And I was going to ask, I mean, kind of to that point, like what, what exactly does your future look like? You know, cause do you, do you see, do you see a situation where you're going to have to choose? Are you going to try to do both? Like what, yeah. what exactly does that look like? I'm going to try to do both. I'm doing a part-time job at Brigham and Women's Hospital where I work for 12 weeks as the, of the year, uh, taking inpatient consults and doing palliative radiation oncology. And then for the remainder of the year, I'll live in LA and write. And uh, when I'm here, I'll be writing full time. And I want to do that for as long as they'll let me because medicine is really important to me and feeds me. I can't honestly imagine life without it. So every single point in this whole process, everyone has said one day you're going to have to choose between them. And I have just kept deferring that decision. And I honestly intend to do that like until I die. Like, I don't think there is a need to do one or the other because I think there's room there's sort of endless room for everything we want to do. And that said, I will say that medicine is actually a very creative profession in and of itself because you're writing notes all day. I write more medical notes than I do screenplays. Like there's way more words inserted in that way. You're making presentations, you're looking at images. It is 
it is a creative profession. It's not as creative as writing. But um, so even if I was doing medicine full time, I don't think I would be unfulfilled. The next move for me, though, is I do really want to direct something. I feel like I won't have the clout to help people and, and create real mentorship until I direct. I don't know why I think that, but I just do. <laughs> I don't really have I a reason agree. for it, but I feel help. Given your background, your experiences, everything, how have you come to define creativity? It's really quite a magical feeling when you're writing and it's flowing out of you and it's like someone is whispering in your ear and it's coming from a place that's beyond your brain. That specific feeling of pure creation where it's, it's just literally flowing, um, that's, what, that's what feels like creativity to me. Um, and then there are so many times in the process of writing where it does not feel like that, where you're doing the math of how to structure something. But the, you know, being in the writer's room of a medical show does not did not always feel like creativity, but that, you know, that process in those precious morning hours when I'm sitting in the hospital cafeteria because I have to go somewhere to work like that to me is, is what I think of. I love that. Ah, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm so glad I, I'm so glad I cold emailed you <laughs> using that IMDB pro. <laughs> this has been wonderful. Again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I cannot wait to see your feature because I actually, I love The Resident. I really yeah, love that show. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see what you do, what your mind comes up with in, you know, the context of a feature film. So it's going to be good. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk. My pleasure. Take care. Yeah.